All right, my name is David, and I'm one of the owners here at iFloat, and this is our very first iFloat radio podcast. I'm here with Donovan from Desk Squad, Connecticut, CT's Desk Squad, and also with Mike Seabrook, who is one of our clients here, and Mike has been floating with us for a while, and I thought, he's a, he's a really interesting guy. He took, took one of our classes here a few weeks ago, and... Uh, he has a lot of interesting things to say, so I asked him a few weeks ago if he would be on our podcast, and uh, here he is. Thanks, Mike. Yeah, no problem. Glad to be here. So, Mike just came out of floating, and uh, first thing I'm gonna I'm gonna say, well, first of all, I'm gonna say that on the iFloat podcast, we are gonna have a lot of different people because as the only float center in Connecticut and the only large float center around, we get a lot of really interesting people coming here. And I'm excited to have a lot of different people. And also I've been thinking how we live in here in Westport, Connecticut, and there are a lot of interesting people uh, living here in Westport. So as, as the sessions continue, we're gonna have like a diverse uh, set of people. And today we're gonna learn uh, about about Mike and, and his background, how he got here to uh, iFloat and how it's affected him and, and all sorts of things. But um, I think I'll start with that, Mike. Like, how did you, how did you first uh, find out about iFloat? What inspired you to, to come here to begin with? Well, <clears throat> I really, I learned about it actually through, through Amanda, my fiance here. So she was the one who discovered um, floating altogether. And uh, I think she, she found it through like re online, and she told me about it. And I, my reaction was, like, this sounds kind of crazy. I thought, like, how could you go in this room? That's gonna be so dark. I'd freak out. And then she found that there was this place here in Connecticut, and she, and we talked about it for a couple months, like, you know, on and off. Like, what would it be like to do it? And my birthday was in October, and so she got me a, a gift certificate, and we came down together. Uh, we went in and it was just it was great the first one I I mean I don't think I've ever had an experience where I did something one time and I was like I'm ready to be sign me up for you know wherever we want to do here so I was hooked right from the start and what hooked you exactly what was it about it that that hooked you I think um and I was as we were just talking about this since we just came out of the float was um early on one of the first things I realized was it it, it let me know what real relaxation was and, you know, we live such a, fra a frantic type of pace, I think, just in, in general, that you kind of forget what it's really like to be relaxed. And so when you're in that space, there's no other option. You just become relaxed. And, um, and I was like, uh, that's just addictive in itself, you know, to be able to, to calm down that much. And I was like, oh, this is amazing. So I think that's really what kept me coming back initially. I agree. I think the difference is huge. I've been doing a lot of floating this past month, and just two days ago I was floating, and I had some stuff happen in, with my family, and I was concerned about it, and I didn't realize how concerned I was about it. And it took about probably 30 minutes, and it wasn't until I really slowed down when I was floating that I realized how frenetic my mind was. But as soon as, my, as, soon as I like dropped down into those slower brainwave states, all of a sudden I was like, oh my god. That's that's what was going on, and I was really happy to be able to notice the difference. It's only when we when we drop down that we can notice 
that difference has that kind of thing happened to you yeah exactly it's 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 just an it's an incredible thing you you just don't really like, realize how fast your mind is moving throughout you know everyday life and so when it slows down and you can actually almost breathe in your thoughts it just helps you um figure out what you want to do and how you want to react to those thoughts how you want to deal with those thoughts instead of just um reacting on almost an impulse so it it you know it's very positive in that way great so tell us a little bit about yourself i know about you but not everybody listening to this uh, knows who you are so so what's where are you at in your life right now what are you what are you up to um so like right now i mean the the biggest thing going on in my life was uh that i'm going to be getting married here in june so that's an awesome thing and um so we're really excited about doing that so getting married in june um so that's like i said the biggest thing you're a lucky guy i am a lucky guy very lucky um you know for work what i do you know by day my trade would be an engineer so i'm an engineer um working at ge a mechanical engineer graduated from wpi in 06 and by night i would say i'm a jujitsu pr- practitioner and i co-run 10th planet uh, harford here in connecticut so we get a lot of jiu-jitsu and MMA people coming here through Joe Rogan mm-hmm. and it's it's fascinating because I didn't really know much about that that area before running for running the float space but uh, tell 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 us a little bit more about how you got involved in, in jiu-jitsu you know like um, martial arts had, has always been something I was um, into my whole life, you know, I, like as a kid, I think like a lot of kids, they, they want to be a ninja or whatever. So you do karate as a, yeah. as a young kid. So I was doing that. And then, um, you know, I took time off in high school. And then when I was in college, I, I, you know, a friend of mine um, was saying, hey, I, you know, there's this um, martial arts club and they're doing this uh, just jujitsu. And I had never really even heard of it at the time. And he's like, do you want to go to a class with me? And I said, yeah, sure. So um, me and my friend, we went to the class, and I was like, wow, this is really pretty cool. So, you know, that's where I I really kind of discovered it. I think it was 2004, 2005 is where I kind of um, first discovered jiu-jitsu, and I really liked it. It was a lot of fun. Everyone was really cool in the room. And it was the first time where you're doing something, and it really tested you. Like, because, you know, you spar live at like 100%, and that's when you really find out whether you know something or you don't know something. Just because you can hit it when the teacher's like, hey, you know, do this step, do that step, and the, and the partner's not resisting, you know, it's different when they resist. So that that really, you know, drew me into it. I was really intrigued by that. And so that's kind of where it, where it started back then. And then um, from that point, it was just I kept seeking out, you know, more training, uh, just more intense training or more in-depth training. And, and uh, you know, that's, you know, it kind of brought me to where I am today, really, with it. And where was that? That was, started. Yeah, that was at WPI, actually. So they have a, I, I don't know if they still have it, but they had a club called SOMA, Society of Martial Arts. And actually, the class that I first went to was actually run by a professor at the school. He was like an economics professor who, you know, did this, you know, as his hobby. And he started this club, uh, club thing going on, and we were going there. And then we ended up meeting, um, uh, became a great friend of mine, Matt Pedro, and he was running a, like a Valley Tudo class, which is more of the MMA stuff. So I was doing just jujitsu, and Matt was doing Valley Tudo MMA stuff. And this was before really the UFC was 
what the UFC is today. So I discovered the UFC and MMA through actually training first and then seeing that there, there was these events where people did what I was doing. And whereas today, I think a lot of people come to it, they, they see it on TV and they want to participate. And so they come. So I, I was, it was before it was really big. I've never heard of Valley Tudo. I got involved with Matt Pedro and got some great training while I was in college then. And then, you know, I started working and had to take time off because when I first started working, I ended up having to work in Indiana for a while and then moved back to Connecticut. And it wasn't for a couple of years that I kind of got back to jiu-jitsu. And I'm so glad that I did. One, one thing that comes to mind is how do you see the connection between you being an engineer and doing jiu-jitsu and now running a school? Do you see any kind of connection between those, those paths? <sighs> yeah, I haven't really thought about it. Um, I think, you know, one of my strengths, I guess, in, in, as being an engineer is being able to critically think about stuff, take problems, break it down into smaller problems that are manageable and, you know, build upon solutions to get the overall solution. So when I was first doing jiu-jitsu, you know, I would really break down all the techniques, all the movements as to as small as I could because I felt like I needed to really understand the the smallest details to make the, the technique the best that it could be. And so I, I would study a lot, and I still study a lot. Um, I spent a ton of time just studying tape and video and then going in and... and, and playing with it, playing, playing, playing. And so what happened was, you know, when I, you know, I, I didn't intend to run a school. It was just that, you know, when we were at practices and the, and the instructor was giving stuff, you know, I'd be working on things and, you know, someone, you know, just ask a question, like, why do you, why do we do it like this or whatever during rolling? And I would just be like, oh, well, I do it like that. And because, you know, it helps me here, this little spot here helps me. And, and people responded to that. They, they liked that little bit, that extra detail. So I kind of got more into sharing the little learnings that I was getting um, through uh, instructors or through, however, just my own investigation. So, you know, when it came to running the school, it just was that on a larger scale, really. I just kind of kept the mentality that we take, t take techniques and break them down to as small as we can get them and um, figure out how they really work and then try to communicate, communicate that knowledge, I guess. It's interesting because the I've mentioned this other guy to you before, uh, Dustin Rhodes, who runs a jiu-jitsu school as well, I think in central Connecticut, and he's also an engineer. Is he? And he's also a big floater. Is he, he really? He comes, I think, once a week. So at some point I want you guys to meet because there seems to be some kind of a connection. One of the things that I notice with a lot of the MMA jiu-jitsu people who come here is similar qualities to what you just described, which is that there's this kind of discipline, there's a desire to, to break things down. And you want to know how things work. Yeah. So that brings me to, to the class that you took with us recently. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to, to also invite you is because here at iFlow we teach classes about the mind. And you took our intro class. And I'd love for you to just talk a little bit about what did you learn from the class? What was it like for you uh, as a participant? I mean, it was, I think I took the class maybe two or three weeks ago now. Three weeks ago. And actually today was the first float since doing it. So it was, it's, it's been great. You know, um, when I immediately after taking the class, what it felt like to me was as if I was, I had seen the world almost in 2D my entire life, and then after the class, it was like I could see the third dimension, so to, if that makes any sense. It, 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 it really helped me understand 
my own viewpoints and how that affects my interpretations of everything and that I'm actually can control my viewpoints. And so it's not that I'm just a passenger in this life and this stuff comes to me. It's just like, I can decide to like, well, look at from this angle or I can look at from that angle and what angle is most beneficial to look at this event from. And then to say, well, I'll look at it from that view. If it helps me more, why would I choose to look at it a view from a, a place of a disadvantage? It didn't make any sense. And so it was so simple that it, it was something where you'd have to laugh at yourself. It's like, man, how did I not know this? Like, why would I do it any other way? And so for me, it was just, uh, it clicked right away. It was, it's, it's helped a lot. What is something that you are looking at or that you began to look at differently? Like, can you give an example of, of something? Well, I think definitely is, you know, my relationship with, with Amanda, just being more in tune with it and really um, being more engaged and, 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 and um, enjoying it more, you know, really enjoying it more and putting more effort towards it. Be and, and it wasn't like I... You know, before the class, I didn't want to do that. I surely wanted to do it. It was just, there was things in the way in my mind that um, didn't help me do it as, as well as I could have. And so the class kind of helped me get through. And, hey, you know, it's, it's, it's not really hard to, to do any of these things, man. It's just, you just do them like anything else. And so it's helping me do it, I guess. Be, be more of who I want to be. And what did you notice differently, if anything, in your flow today post-intro class than in your floats pre-intro class, if anything? I think um, um, in every other float I had experienced, and I think that this is my sixth float, so I think I've, I, have, I, don't, I haven't hit 10 hours yet in the tank, but I'm coming up on it, so I'm kinda, that's kind of cool to hit 10. To me, that's kind of a bench, like a little uh, milestone, but today, you know, versus all the other floats is typically um, when I'm in the float, my mind tends to like wander just to whatever thoughts and you know and I just kind of like my mind's eyes looking at it so I can see it all in my head as to whatever thought. could be anything you know me driving down the road or whatever and then I would just kind of go with it go with it, go with it and then today what happens is I would have those sim similar thoughts but I would kind of like pause in the thought and be like well why did I what am I even really looking at here why and why am I looking at it like that you know, and kind of investigate, rather than just have the thought, investigate the thought. And I wasn't doing that <clears throat> before the class. That's good. And did you know, have you noticed any impact on the, the class uh, in your jujitsu practice at all, in terms of the way that you're engaging with uh, students or people you're sparring with? I, definitely. And I think, I mean, the word I've used a few times is just more engaged. You know, making a a better connection. Amanda and I were talking the other day. It's, you know, like when you're communicating with someone, like to really look at them, if, if you know what I mean, like to really look at, at them as you're communicating, not like looking at your thoughts in your mind, but looking at them and really trying to communicate as best as you can. So, I mean, that's really helping me to try to be, you know, to be a better instructor. And when I'm rolling is to really be looking at what I'm doing, like a hundred percent. Don't be looking anywhere else. Don't be worrying about whatever or you know, the fact that after this class I have to do something else is, is to be in that moment. I remember about two months ago or so, I think you were here and you were talking, and I think you were here, Amanda wasn't here that time, but you were talking about how in the last year maybe or so, 
there seems to have been almost some cracking going on within you where you've started to be, you began to really look within. Is that accurate? Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I remember thinking like, wow, this is really interesting just how, how there, there seemed to be like almost like an egg, like cracks happening as you began to like look within. Yeah, it certainly has. It's been, it's been a, um, pretty, a lot of self-exploration going on. And I think a lot of it comes from, you know, always trying to, um, this might sound kind of corny, but be the best you can be, sort of being, like I always wanted to, my whole thing is always optimize, you know, be as, as fit as I could be, eat as well, uh, as, as healthy as I could, um, all with the goal is to feel as good as I could. You know, I've, I always um, think about or tell people, it's like, you know, there's those mornings where you wake up and you just kind of want to jump out of bed and you're like, yeah, I'm ready to go, I'm going to do everything, I'm going to conquer this day. And then there's those days where the alarm goes off and you kind of drag and you're like, ah, God, I don't really want to get out of bed. And I'm like, man, like, I'd like to have more days where I wake up and just can't wait to get out of bed and go after that day. And the reason, and, and I'm like, well, why don't I? So I, you know, I, I focused a lot on physical things. I focused, like I said, uh, am I healthy? Am I exercising enough? Am I eating the right stuff? Am I sleeping the right, the right amount? And I, put a lot of energy and you know Amanda will tell you like just the amount of tracking I do and logging of ridiculous statistics on myself you know like I still wasn't getting the results that I really wanted so I said there's something missing there's definitely something missing and it must be internal it's not that I'm not intaking the right stuff or sleeping the right amount it's got to be something within and so you know, we had talked about maybe trying to do yoga and meditation, and I would just, they didn't stick with me. I didn't, I didn't stay, I wasn't disciplined in doing that practice. And so it just, you know, when I came to the float, it was just, it was just so easy. I guess, you know, maybe I was too lazy to do something else to, to get the job done, but here, it, there's no other option when you're floating. You're just gonna, you're going to look with it. There's, there's nothing really else in the dark there. So, um, so yeah. One thing that, comes up for me as, as you're speaking is your training as an engineer. Engineers are very logical. They have powerful ways of, of looking at things logically and breaking things down and so forth. But as you discovered uh, in the last year or so is that you were logically constructing all of these procedures and somehow the experiment wasn't giving you the results that you wanted. It was like 70% instead of 100% and so forth. And so after taking the, the class, the intro class, and just so for people who don't know a whole lot about the class, it's, it's an introduction to metaprogramming or programming as defined by John Lilly who invented floating. And it's based on this idea that the mind is like a biocomputer and that we write instructions for our mind throughout our lives. And there are layers to those instructions and logic is at the surface layer. It's like the frosting on the cake. And a lot of people think that that's that's it. Like I can figure everything out with logic. If I just put everything in right, then I'm going to be a-okay. But actually it's under the frosting. It's all the instructions and the programming that's underneath that that actually drives everything. But where, can you reflect a little bit on what that's been like for you to see, like how do you see, for example, where your background as, as an engineer has its place, but also has its limitations, if that makes sense? Um, in terms of being a part of your life but not being everything like there's engineering there's logic but where in terms of like what you learned about in the class does that fit and where does it also where does it not 
go into? Where, where are its limitations? You know, I think the, my logic, it, would, it works um, in the sense of operating on the everyday level, of implementing whatever I'm trying to do. Like, that's where it works well. Where it doesn't really work well for me is trying to apply logic to the inner workings of my mind. Because we, we, we like, I think, you know, I like to think at least that my mind is logical through and through from the top frosting down all the way to the bottom but what we learned what I learned in the class was that's not always the truth you know your brain is your brain and you might have thoughts that are, are completely illogical but they're ingrained in there so if you try to use logic thought to solve them you're not using the right tool so you know I want to use my logic thought to once I've you know investigated these areas and and, and to do it you know scientifically and then use the logic to say, okay, well, I'm going to implement this new way of being or these sort of things that I want to do in my everyday life on the surface. But it's definitely limited, limiting when I'm trying to get to the root of what I'm dealing with. I, I realize that I can't use logic and say, okay, well, because A plus B equals C every other day, that when I really am going deep, it equals C in my mind. It might equal something else. And I have to be open to it, maybe equaling D, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it does. And, and a lot of people, including myself, because I went into science and I approached the world from a very logical place for a number of years, and I tried to, to solve things with logic. A lot of people think if they, if they have feelings that are a little bit out of sync with reality, that if I just do the thing, if I just think the right way, then it's going to change. But the feelings are not controlled by logic. Do you remember what controls how we feel according to the model we work with here? Is it the self-meta programs? Yeah, the self-meta programs, which are the beliefs that people form early in life. And so the beliefs, these unconscious patterns that people put in place when they're three or four years old, basic things like fire being dangerous and things like that can also, they govern our emotions and our feelings and our logic. And if somebody has, let's say, a belief that I'm isolated or like... Uh, people don't care about me or, or life is life is awful. Just a few things, any even one of those in there can result in feelings that don't match reality. For example, you have Amanda who's wonderful and you have a great job and you have all these sorts of things. So if somebody has a life that to everybody else seems to be fine, but inside they don't feel right or they have emotions that don't match, it indicates that there is some illogical stuff going on, some, a, a belief in there that is in full swing and generating other patterns like emotions and feelings that don't make sense. So it is, I think, really powerful to have a scientific background or that logical background. It's even more powerful to be able to apply it, to be able to use that to then peer into the irrational part of the mind because all of this stuff, the floating and these concepts of metaprogramming were developed by a scientist who also had very much like an engineering mind, which is why he came up with this computer-based computer -based model. Do you ever see in the students that you work with or people that you work with, uh, particularly with, with jujitsu, I'm curious, do you ever see people trying to do that, students who are like caught in these, these, these patterns, not so much in terms of their, their body, but in terms of their, their, say, like their feelings and emotions? Do you ever see... Uh, your students getting in these these patterns, and you're looking at them. It's like, oh, they seem kind of stuck. Does that ever happen? Or yeah, I, you, you'll definitely see that. And I mean, it's not something that um, 
I haven't even experienced in jujitsu. It's, I think in jujitsu, uh, it's it's very common that practitioners are gonna have what we call like a plateau, where you'll feel like you're really making a lot of improvements and your game's really coming together, and then all of a sudden you hit some almost like a ceiling, and it's hard to break through. So when I see guys hitting that, I know that they're really coming up against something internally. This, you know, with with themselves that they gotta deal with, and sometimes it can be like, you know, some guys don't want to lose in the gym. You know what I mean? They don't want to lose in the gym. And um, they might, you know, like their game's going to be limited if, they, if they're going to hold on to that thought that I can't tap, I don't want to tap, or I shouldn't be tapping to this person. And their game suffers because they hang on to that. And you just tell them, it's like, listen, like if you need to win every one, you're going to lose in the, in the long run. You're going to have to eventually suffer loss. So just get through it and get better. Like if, if you're, a lot of times you'll hear guys, I... You know, I feel like my game is, is suffering, it's stifling, I'm not, I'm not even able to do some of the stuff that I used to be really good at, that was my A game. And it's like, well, it's, you're not focused on doing the jiu-jitsu, you're focusing on, on winning, you know what I mean? And, and you're focusing on not losing, really. And uh, that can hurt guys. And once they kind of let that go, you'll see them, they'll break through. But that's not to say that they won't come to that again. It's sort of a, you know, it's... You know, I think Joe Rogan always has talked about a lot. He's like, to do jiu-jitsu, you have to have a, a, a healthy ego. And it's a lot of time that ego that gets in the way of people. Um, yeah, can you talk about, I, I don't understand it completely, but I think I've heard Dustin talk a little bit about how sometimes people focus on, there's a difference between, say, technique and strength. Right. And, and when you're training, some people are, will start focusing a little bit more on improving their technique or their form, I think it's called, mm -hmm. and then strength. And do you ever see anybody maybe uh, kind of become imbalanced in terms of their focus on those things? Yeah, you, you see that a lot, you know, especially with you got, um, you know, because everyone's different. Everyone comes with a different a level of athleticism when they come to jiu-jitsu. Um, some people being very athletic, being very gifted physically, and some that just aren't, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not really a super athletic guy. I've never been someone who's, you know, been able to jump really high or dunk or run fast and, or any of that stuff. Um, and so some people, what they'll do is they'll get hung up and, and keep using, I'll use, you know, they might use their speed or their strength and they'll be able to hit the move. They'll get the end finish. They'll, they'll get a tap, which is to them, their goal is to get the tap. And how they're getting it is not using... You know, as Dustin, if he refers to it as form, yeah, he's not. They aren't using form; they're using strength, which is a physical attribute, and that's where the you know, with the guys that do that, they have to be careful because strength isn't something that no one else has. Someone else could have strength, and if that's your only weapon, really, to hit the move, if you don't really understand the deepest part of that technique, then if you come up against a guy who's equal to your strength or stronger. It's going to be tough to hit the technique. So, you know, making sure that you're having, you know, not relying solely on your physical attributes, but also, like you said, being in balance and making sure that you're doing the proper study and the proper technique work so that the technique itself is tight. So it's you use less strength and you're not relying on your strength as much. Yeah, the idea that comes to my mind is relating it to what we do here because when somebody goes into a fight, they bring their entire life experience with them, including, let's say, the night before if they were in an argument uh, with uh, their significant other or they, they had some kind of problem in a relationship at work and so forth. And so can you ever 
has that ever happened to you where you came out of a fight realizing like wow i really wasn't on my top game because i had some things going on in my mind or have you ever have you ever had talks with people about that yeah definitely you know definitely um being in the right mindset is is huge i think all competitors will agree like you know so much you hear these these attitudes of oh it's you know um 90% 90% mental, 10% physical, or, you know, some numbers like this where it's, it's, it's really a huge aspect of the game and to competing well and performing well. And, you know, even, even silly things where it's, you know, if I have, we're doing a competition and I plan to compete, but I also have guys that are competing, that, that compete, you know, that come to the school, you know, I want them to do well. I want them to have a positive experience. So part of my energy is not necessarily f- focused on me doing well, but focused on others, and I might get stressed, and that might lead to me not being 100% in my matches or, or whatever. And I think the same, the same thing goes for other people, is, you know, um, if they um, sometimes, you know, in jiu-jitsu, especially early on, like, um, you know, weight, you know, what weight class you're going to be in is, is a big deal. And it's very common that people are trying to cut weight, get to a weight. And if someone's never cut weight, um, and they're trying to do it for the first time, it can be kind of a, a stressful thing for them, uh, trying to lose this eight, seven pounds or whatever they're trying to do, who knows what they're doing, but, um, and, it, and it makes them stress. And so the week before practice, they feel stressed that they have to do this, they feel weakened, so they don't feel as strong. And so then when they go and compete, even though they've, they've, they've weighed in, they made their weight, and then they're back to their normal weight, they have this thought in their mind that they're weak because the whole week going into it was they were feeling like just, they didn't feel strong, and that can affect. That's affected me. I know it's affected other people. So, definitely having your mind in the right spot and feeling good before you compete is 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 a big deal. How many people do you know? Well, for example, you were talking before about meditation, well, and how it didn't really work out for you, and it doesn't doesn't work for everybody. But what meditation is doing is somewhat similar to floating, just not a, quite a, as intensely. Whereas meditation is to slow the mind. That's the whole point is to slow the mind down into, and some people use it to look at the patterns in the mind. Floating's doing the same thing, except it's taking away like the floor and it's taking away changes in temperature and so forth. So people go even slower more quickly. But the, the question I have is, and then you experience this in the class, which is that there's a difference between slowing one's mind down and looking within and actually having being in an experience where your unconscious patterns or programming are being pointed out and you're seeing where you're like, oh, crap, I can't believe I did that again. Yeah. <laughs> Which I think you remember oh, uh, yeah. experiencing in the class. And so the whole point is to say, yeah, well, that's, a, that's a, an internally consistent pattern for you in your mind. How many people do you know in the jiu-jitsu community, people you work with, like, Put themselves in those kinds of experiences where they're actually in some ways i mean i kind of think of it as jujitsu for the mind it's a kind of it's a kind of um i don't know it's an experience where there's a lot of back and forth but it's not physical yeah. but as you remember there was a lot of back and forth among the people in the room and it's not so much tapping as much as marking it's like oh there there that is again there's that pattern for you um, do do many people in that community uh, do any kind of work on that that, that you know of where they're really uh, kind of having that kind of mental sparring to, to see what's going on unconsciously in their mind? Um, I, I I imagine you know I at the highest level probably the guys that are the you know world champions they have to do that 
they have to they have to get over themselves they have to face those things to be world champions i think that's what makes them world champions um i think that if you're talking about you know um recreational players or or players that aren't on, on the world stage i think that they they may do it but i don't know if it's as conscious as you kind of said i don't think it's you know i, I could say that you know i'm not a world champion jiu-jitsu practitioner and you know the experience that i had during the class of when you're consciously marking like you said this is a point where you know you're inconsistent or you got something that's not working for you that was an experience i'd never really had before like consciously i think that you know like you might have it um an experience sort of like that when you in jujitsu in the sense that you're rolling against really good guys and they're just they're able to do whatever they want to you like you get a humbling experience like oh man i have I have a lot to learn. You know what I mean. I have a real lot to learn. It's 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 different though. Whereas you 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 consciously you know in jujitsu you'll consciously be aware of like man that's a hole in my game, but always the mindset is like well I'll just need to work that aspect. It, it always breaks down to back to mat time physical stuff. Not necessarily that it's a mental thing in your own head that's stopping you. So I think it's I think people experience but just different on different level maybe. Yeah, I agree. I mean, one of the things that I noticed with you, and I've noticed it with some other people, but with you, I, I noticed that you kind of broke clean very quickly. Like you'd see something, and I've seen people like really hold on to things like and deny and evade and say, no, I, I didn't really do that, or they'll just pull out the, the blame. They'll say, oh, but but so-and-so or this and that. And what I, what I noticed with you was that you'd see something about yourself that you didn't quite realize you were doing. And you would then just kind of look at it and, 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 just, and, and actually look at it and say, wow, I didn't realize I was doing that. And my guess is that the jiu-jitsu, because it's so humbling, because you go into a mat, you actually don't know what's going to happen. And periodically you, you, you get tapped and, 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 or maybe multiple times and so forth, but that's a very humbling experience. And one of the things that I, that I often talk to people about, and I've written about it, is how feelings really are not that important. How we feel about things are not that important, but the objective is important. And sometimes the objective is winning the, the match in the moment, but maybe the objective is really to enhance oneself or to, to be the, the husband or the father, to get the job done and so forth. And, it's one of the things that I have noticed about you, and I, I do notice in other people uh, who come in that that line is oftentimes they're they're more more than a lot of people I've met. They the the feelings are less. There's less of a priority on them, and I think it's almost a requirement that some of that has to be edged away in order to continue on the path of jujitsu. You're just not gonna go back here eventually the feelings are going to win out if if a person makes them important right if i give into my feelings of on the mat of frustration or or whatever you know if if you know i'm having a bad role per se like it doesn't help me it's not going to help me in my next role at all it's going to probably it's actually going to hurt me to do it so and i realize that the only reason i'm frustrated is i'm, I'm frustrated with myself about something and so it's like so why am i gonna have this feeling it just it wouldn't make sense, and that's not to say that it's it's um, easy to let go of that feeling, you know, because you feel it either way. It's just whether or not you're gonna hang out in the feeling longer than you should, you know. Like I can't stop myself from feeling certain things; I feel it just the same. But it's just a matter of hey, <clears throat> all right, you have that feeling, man. Let's uh, this is the next moment here. Do you want to 
let this feeling last longer than it's already lasted, which has been a bad, you know, it's been a bad experience. And so, you know, there's no reason you can have a, a better experience in the next moment. So I think that's what I try to do on the mats. And I mean, it's, um, I never really attributed, you know, maybe that carrying over to how I, how I was in the class or how I was doing during my floats, but it, it may certainly have. Yeah, I, th- I think so. It's just what I what I notice and the people coming through here. There's a, there's just a little bit more of a detachment. Not always, but there tends to be a little bit more of a detachment to, uh, to to feelings. At least in in some regards. Mm-hmm. But there are always places where, uh, if a person hasn't looked deep within, that that th- those feelings that stem from a belief, whatever is going on down there, is still going to get in the way. Maybe it won't happen on the mat but it will happen when they go home or when they talk to their parents and so forth. And that's, that's, that's what we do here. But I was, I was speaking with someone last night who was at our holistic happy hour and it's funny how things happen, but I just, I had some information from someone at the start of the event and then this other person came in and happened to be about this other person and they happened to be together. And I just was paying attention. And so I thought, well, you know, this is my opportunity to help them resolve whatever's going on. And when I did point it out to this individual, there was this immediate impulse to blame. So I just kind of like pulled it out and I held it up and I said, wow, look at this blame right here. So I was able to show this, this person who immediately gave in to the feeling of like, I feel bad. I, I don't want to feel bad. I'm going to blame. So I was able to just pull it up and say, well, that's not working very well for you. And then, and then, and then she was like, no, it's, it's not. But, but that tendency to, to evade what's real. If you're being, if you're being tapped or you're, you're on the mat, it's really hard to evade what's real in that moment. But, but then really where push comes to shove is in our relationships, like in your relationship with Amanda and your relationship with your parents or future kids and so forth. It's like really that's where the rubber meets the road. Right. And ultimately, uh, if somebody comes in, comes in or tells me everything's fine and I get a sense that maybe things aren't fine, I might just probe a little bit and say, well, how are things with this. this person yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know and, and then they'll they'll be like oh maybe yeah <laughs> no yeah that's right i mean just because you know i might be able to do it on the mat doesn't mean i can do it everywhere as efficiently and you know so you gotta work on it yeah and that's and that's what um well that's why you've come here and mm-hmm. that's why we're here we're here mm-hmm. having conversations about exploring reality that's what somebody was emailing me uh recently about he comes here frequently and he sent me an email about how how showing people reality is tricky and he looks at iFloat as a place where where we help to show people what's real as opposed to what they think is real so somebody might think oh well feeling sorry for myself because i lost the match or feeling upset towards my significant other because i think that they maybe aren't doing this or that isn't is very different than actually taking the opportunity to communicate with people and hash out what's real and that's a process it's not a it's not a one-time thing like well i asked you two weeks ago what you wanted for dinner so i assumed you wanted the same thing tonight and it's like well no i'm not the same person i was two weeks ago and you aren't either and let's just talk about it i mean it's incredible too because you know like you're talking is you know even at work it's just i'm having just better communications with people and and you're right. You just sit there and you, you may maybe instead of just being a 30 second conversation of did you do this, did you do that? You end up talking for me like five, 10 minutes, you know? So 
And, you know, I think you're we're kind of programmed like, oh, well, you're kind of wasting time talking. You know, what's, what are you going to get out of this talking business at work, you know? But you get a lot out of it. And, like, and you both leave like, yeah, okay, we got a plan. We know what we're doing. We're, we're on the same page. And stuff gets done. You know what I mean? Like you're, you're way more productive after that conversation. So, yeah, it's like an investment. You invest that extra time to have a, a real meaningful conversation with the person about something. And the results are way better than if you had just 30 seconds, uh, do this, do that, do that, go. You know, uh, you actually get like a much better end result out of the situation. Yeah, because as, as John Lilly pointed out, communication is a process. It's not a one-shot deal. If you say, hey, Joe, I want you to order these things for this thing, you might think that Joe knows what you mean, but it's like, hey, you know, what's, what's going on? That, if you actually open it up to more than just the, the unidirectional direction of, hey, do this, then, then you can have a real conversation. It gives them the opportunity to say, well, you know, I didn't really quite understand that part. Yeah. Or, or, or this or that or how, how's life or how are things in the office because all of those little pieces make up who we are we're not just like a single piece we're made up of many pieces the reality is we're transmitting our feelings emotions and beliefs to everybody so if you take the, t- take the time to actually understand what's going on for somebody they are going to walk away from the conversation saying hey that person actually pays attention to me and vice versa, and you're both gonna come away saying, "Hey, let's let's make thing, let's make something real, make, let's make something really good together." And that's yeah. that's what it boils down to. So. Exactly. Well, this is great. Um, anything else to to share with folks today? Like, do you want to talk a little bit about your school, maybe, and and tell people what the school is that that you own and teach, so that so that people know where to find this guy. Sure, sure. So, yeah, like, like we said in the beginning, you know, I, run, uh, I co-run with Rob Cole, uh, 10th Planet, Harford, but we're, we're actually out of Plainville, so it's, uh, you know, we're not in Harford, we're in Plainville. And, and we focus on the 10th Planet no-gi jiu-jitsu system um, based on Eddie Bravo and uh, his work. And um, Rob and I have been running the, cl- the, the club together for, I think, a year or more now. Uh, so he got on and he's been a huge asset to us and um, we train um, during the week we train three nights we do Monday Tuesday and Thursdays and then we do Sunday morning open mats and uh, you can find us um, on the web at www.10thplanetjjharford.com we have our schedule there you know anything like that contact information and um, yeah you know we, we pride ourselves on just being a really open Jiu-Jitsu club, you know, it doesn't matter how much experience uh, that you have, little, little experience or a lot of experience, um, everyone's welcome. Um, everyone there is just trying to get better. So, we, you know, we've been building it for, like I said, Rob and I for about a year now, and, you know, it, it's, it's feeling good now. You know, we're getting a, a good number of guys. Good. Well, I'm sure you guys are going to be really successful, and especially with so much I don't know what the word is, but intention. There seems to be a lot of intention there, a lot of a lot of meaning in yourselves and also in your uh, students from observing what you guys put up on Facebook and so forth. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 been great. It's it's amazing how much that Facebook, how much traffic it gets. Like you know, so we're always we we love doing it. Um, we love sharing with the people, and we're glad that people appreciate it. Great. Well, thanks for being on our first iFloat Radio Podcast. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Yeah.